Galatians chapter 3, and I want to read uh, verse 21 and 22. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Amen. May the Lord bless this reading to us. It might be useful uh, just to remind ourselves uh, briefly that the Apostle Paul here in this little epistle is writing to friends in the churches of Galatia. That's a region of modern day Turkey. Uh, And it's a place that he had evangelised probably on a couple of occasions. Uh, It's likely that this uh, letter had been written um, after his second Uh, missionary journey. So he'd been in this region at least twice and he had ministered in this region with considerable success. So there were a number of churches that had been established and he calls these people, people that he will know uh, personally, know by name, know their circumstances, know their family, know something of their history. He calls these people his brethren, their brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want us to realise that this shows that he had a good hope for their spiritual life. Now, some might have been more critical. Some might, and and that's not to say that there's not an, an edginess, a sharpness in some of the rebukes of the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle is going out of his way. The Apostle is writing Uh, It's not his longest epistle, but it's a significant epistle. It's a powerful epistle. It's an epistle full of gospel truth. And we have to thank the Lord that this epistle needed to be written and was written. But the apostle is spending time with these Galatians because he is concerned about their spiritual status and their spiritual uh, health. Paul wished to recover and to revive what he perceived was fading in these people. And that's a a good principle. These believers, these, these people, they had been subjected to a deception. And the Apostle Paul was ready to go out of his way to help and encourage these people. I think we should take a wee lesson from that. You know, sometimes we become a little bit perhaps overcritical and sometimes we perhaps become a little bit dismissive of people that contradict us or people that uh, seem to disparage the, 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 the teaching that we want to give them or that, that might uh, uh, sort of hear what we have to say and then shake it off. And we think to ourselves, well, if that's their attitude, let them go. And uh, 
But that wasn't what the apostles' approach was here. There was a tenderness in it. There was a care and a concern and and an affection for these people. And I think it's just worth remembering that it wasn't the Galatians. It was the people that were troubling the Galatians that were the object of his uh, ire and his judgment uh, uh, and his opposition. He wanted to win these souls back to a clear understanding of the gospel. His friends were uh, troubled by false teachers who were leading them away from the simplicity of the gospel faith. And that simplicity was that they were no longer seeing that all their righteousness and all their peace with God must be drawn from the person and work of Jesus Christ. And these troublers, we've, we've called them Judaizers. They were trying to impose a blend of faith and works, of grace and duty on the Galatians as being the high road in order to please God and obtain his blessing. But in combating the subtleties of the Judaizers. Paul suggests that the Galatians are being taken advantage of and indeed they've been bewitched having had their spiritual senses dulled and their hitherto clear appreciation of the gospel muddied so as to leave them confused about what is true. The, the, the picture of that bewitching is like a conjurer who uses sleight of hand to distract and divert and deceive his audience. And I think, again, it's something that we... I'm kind of throwing little applications in here today. But I think, again, it's something that we we ought to just be aware of. It is important who we listen to. It's important who we hear. It's important, indeed, who we trust as the Lord's ministers to us and if a man comes with unsound doctrine would we know would would our ears be attuned enough to be able to realize that there's a problem here there's an issue here remember these Galatians had been under the teaching of the apostle Paul himself and yet they still succumbed to the deception of these conjurers So it is something, again, that we have to be aware of, that doctrine and the truths of the gospel are something that have to be tenaciously held to and something that we should be constantly uh, uh, curious about and cautious about uh, as we hear uh, preaching and preachers. The Apostle Paul wanted the Galatians to see clearly once again that the true and singular ground of a sinner's acceptance with God is the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only ground of acceptance we have. If it's not that we approach God on the basis of Christ our substitute, then there is a problem in our theology and a problem in our approach to God. He wanted them to see, secondly, that the method of our justification with God 
is exclusively the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wanted them to see, thirdly, that the means of experiencing new life and possessing a spiritual relationship with God is through faith in Christ and trusting in the efficacy of that completed work. The aim, the purpose uh, of the Judaizers was to uh, muddy these clear gospel waters by inserting into the gospel of salvation a need to obey Moses, um, a need to to, uh, uh, adorn their faith with a certain uh, rigour that that would bring them into uh, deepening their their relationship with God and enhancing their relationship with God through the things that they did. And that was the big lie. The big lie was that they would, uh, uh, um, having gained or having begun this uh, spiritual life by faith, Now the task for the Galatians was to go on and perfect themselves in their flesh by obeying the law. And this is what Paul has been contending against. Now the last time we heard the Apostle tell the Galatians that Abraham's righteousness, Abraham's justification was a free gift from God. And that's the important point here. It was a free gift from God. The promise of it had been received by faith. So Abraham believed in this free gift from God. He believed in the fact that God was supplying a righteousness and justifying him by the work of a substitute. And we've learned from this that salvation is an unconditional gift having been established by God in the eternal counsel and covenant of grace and by the accomplishment by the Lord Jesus Christ in time of those covenant duties, covenant obligations. Abraham was not justified by what he did or what he didn't do under the law, but because of what his Saviour did on the cross. Abraham's righteousness was not tied to obeying the Ten Commandments, which is self-evident because the law was not even given at this stage and would not be for another 430 years. The law was nothing to do with the promise of grace that Abraham had been given. So Paul then, in these verses before us, anticipates a question concerning the law and the promise. And he's sort of thinking to himself, well, somebody is going to say, somebody is going to come back here with a with, with an opposition. Probably one of these Judaizers is going to say, well, what about this? So Paul anticipates that. And he says in verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Is the law against the gospel? Is the law opposed to the gospel? Is the law in competition with the gospel? Now, Paul has already shown the purpose of the law is not to bring life, but to measure guilt. The law showed the standard of holiness required by God. 
but it never supplied any means to reach that standard. It neither encouraged nor enabled a way to God. It does, however, perfectly fulfil the purpose for which it was designed and for which it was given. The law neither opposes the gospel nor does it compete with the gospel as an alternative route to holiness or another door to spiritual or eternal life. That was never its role. Now that's an attractive idea, of course, that it might be because the natural man and human flesh likes to think, if I'm good, I'll get rewarded. And if the wicked are not good, then they'll get punished. And of course, we always justify ourselves that we're on the right side of that divide. We're on the right side of that line. And the law of God would seem to be a suitable means to that end. And in our flesh, we would be quite happy if we could use it like that. The thing is, the law of God will never bring us into God's presence. The fall has rendered us all guilty before God. And by the law, the degree of guilt and the consequences of sin in our behaviour is constantly being measured and constantly condemned. The law was never intended to bring life to fallen creatures or to make sinners righteous before God. God uses the law to kill, not to make alive. It's a killing letter. It's the gospel that makes alive. New life is in Christ and by that gospel we live. That gospel applied effectually by the Holy Spirit and that's the reason why the <clears throat> that's the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ emphasizes to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We often think, you know, that that's to do with other religions or it's to do with uh, uh, it's to do with the essence of self-righteousness. There is only one way of righteousness with God, and that is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. In verse 22, the apostle goes on to say, The scripture has concluded all under sin. And this is the point of the law's role. All of us, all people and everything to do with us, is condemned because it is sinful. And I think that that's an important message for us to understand and know. It's the truth behind our grasp, our understanding of what is sometimes called total depravity. It is not simply the bad things that we do that are measured by the law or the good things that we fail to do. It's everything that we do is tainted and spoiled and corrupted by sin because it it emanates like like water gushing from a, 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 a dirty pipe or, or out of a, 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 a filthy hole. It, it, it's, 
It's got a corruption within it. Our prayers are sinful. Our worship of God is sinful. My sermons are sinful. There's too much of me in my sermons. But here's the thing. The glory of the gospel is enhanced and heightened and amplified by the work of the law. Far from opposing the gospel, the law facilitates the gospel. It serves the gospel. It shows how wonderful the gospel is by contrasting the two. It shows us the, the things that it can't do and the things that the gospel does do. don't know whether any of you have ever bought um, a, a diamond ring from a jeweller. But when a jeweller shows off his wares, when he shows off his diamond rings, he presents it to the customer on a black velvet cloth because the dark background sets off and magnifies the beauty and the splendour of the gems that are in the ring. And the law and the gospel both serve their specific purpose. The mistake, the error, the false teaching that these Judaizers were bringing is trying to impose the one upon the other or mixing the two together. And then the Apostle Paul makes a wonderful statement. He says, the promise, that is what he's talking about, is the promise of salvation, the promise of justification, the promise of reconciliation and new life that was given to Abraham. The promise, all these great spiritual and eternal blessings, are not to be found in a man's works or legal duties, or being the best that we can be, but salvation is secured by the Lord Jesus Christ and the faithful obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ exclusively. Now you would think that that would be good news to everybody. You would think that that, that would be good news to the whole world, that, that men and women throughout the whole world would be clamouring after such a uh, <laughs> a wonderful truth is that, that there is free justification and perfect righteousness to be found, not in the labours of our own works, nor in the efforts of our own flesh, but in trusting the Lord Jesus Christ alone. You would think so, but of course they're not, because that's the nature of the natural man, and that's the inherent opposition that we have to God, the very thing that we need the most, we hate the most, because we are sinners by nature. But here's the, 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 the loveliness of the Apostle's statement. In the everlasting council, we've been thinking a bit about that over the past few weeks, on Tuesdays and on Sundays, but in the everlasting council, the Lord Jesus Christ undertook to do his Father's will and to fulfil every demand that fell to his responsibility in the covenant of grace and peace. And those obligations took him to the cross where he became the ransom and the substitute for his people. Every day 
of his life on earth, the man Jesus leaned upon the promises of God, leaned upon the faithfulness of his father and trusted his father to fulfill all the promises made to him in the covenant. So that Jesus was a man of faith too. Jesus was a man of faith. And he claimed his prize when he declared in John chapter 17 verse 4, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. That was the Lord Jesus Christ saying in anticipation of the cross. That was him saying, I have fulfilled all the obligations that I undertook in the covenant of grace. And salvation was won there for all for whom Christ died. All who were given to him in the covenant, sanctified in him and placed into his care and keeping from the foundation of the world. That, he says, going on, he should give eternal life to as many as the Father had given him. Let me just make this one quick thought and then we're done. It says there in the last part of verse 22 that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. What is it to believe? The necessity of believing is part of the gospel revelation. But it's more than simply giving assent to the revealed facts of the gospel. There are are lots and lots of people who, to some degree or another, give assent to the revealed facts of the gospel, the revealed facts of the Bible. The, 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 The scriptures tell us that the devils themselves believe and tremble and I suspect that the devils believe a lot more and far better than most people do even who would claim to be Bible believers they know God is their God the devils know that God is their God they know the Lord Jesus Christ is the only saviour of men they know that he has accomplished salvation on the cross and they know that they're defeated because they were shamed there in that work but that is not possessing the faith of Jesus Christ the faith of Jesus Christ is sharing and being united to Christ with a faith that is Christ's own faith it is Christ's own faith gifted and bestowed to his people that we might believe in our own personal interest in the work of redemption and salvation. It certainly includes knowing the facts of the gospel. We cannot believe in something that we do not know. But it is a faith that unites us to Christ. It initiates a relationship with him. It grows, it deepens, it sometimes struggles, but it never disappears because it is Christ's faith given to his people. The Lord Jesus Christ believed 
that if he fulfilled the covenant obligations that fell to him, then his father would fulfill the covenant obligations that he had undertaken as well. That he would give a suitable righteousness to all for whom Christ died. That he would bless and reconcile himself to that church. He would purify her, make her holy, beautiful and fit for his presence. And he would give her to Christ at that great marriage feast of the Lamb. This is the faith that we have and this is the promise that we have. It's the greatest gift in this world and it is all by the free grace of God in Christ. Amen.